Welcome and thank you for joining us today on our podcast. I'm Marvin Telemontis, the pastor of River Rock Fellowship. Hope this inspires you and builds up your faith and helps you to see that God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. Good morning, church. I want to thank you for joining us as we finish our series called Hope Happens Here. And if you're joining us via podcast, we are thrilled that you would join us and click on us and uh, be able to enjoy this. We hope this message would help you take your next step closer to Christ. We have covered our Back to Church Sunday where we talked about hope happens here, meaning you find where Jesus is. The Bible says where two or three are gathered, there he is in their midst. Well, we're more than two or three. Jesus is here, and that means hope is here. Amen? We also covered hope for the broken. And that's everybody in this room. If you've never been broken, you're not human. That's his bottom line. And we've also covered hope for the doubter. Have you ever been in a place where your faith was so brutalized, you began to start to doubt? And we've all been there as well. Well, today we're going to talk about hope that is given to us when we feel like we're facing more than we can handle, and we really feel like we are the underdog. Like, there's no way I'm going to get out of this mess. It's just too much for me. And I think it's one of the reasons why we love stories about the underdog. Maybe when I show you a few of these pictures, you're going to go, I know this story. And you'll quickly be able to put together why these stories are so good. This is an awesome football movie. Anybody here ever seen the story of Rudy? Awesome. This is the guy who made the squad to be on the practice team. And that's basically what he did all this time. In the very end of his career, he gets to go out. And they, said, they forced the coach to put Rudy on the field. And he tore it up. Matter of fact, this is a picture of what he looks like today. He's a real true story of an underdog. We also got another one. Well, it's not just one, it's many. It's 1980, it's the Olympics. It's called the Miracle Team. This is, no way are they supposed to beat the Russians because the Russians put their professional team that plays decades together. These guys are like, I mean, ice blood brothers. They live, sleep, they know everything they're going to do before they do it. And this team did the impossible and beat them. If you've never seen the movie, it's a fun movie to watch. Well, how about this one? This guy's name is Michael Orr. Now, Michael Orr comes from the ghetto. How many guys there is in the movie The Blind Side? And you just see, an, this, this really is an incredible story of a, of, a, of a family, of a mom that embraces this guy and brings this guy, huge man, into her home and just adopts him. And this guy is the worst football player on the squad because he won't hurt anybody. But she figures out the coach doesn't know what he's doing because he didn't bother to read the file. The number one thing for him was protection of one's family. That's what motivated Michael. So she goes up during practice and calls Michael over and says, Michael, come here. 
let me tell you something. And she goes, you see that guy in the red jersey? Anybody wearing a red jersey on a practice squad is the quarterback. She goes, that is me. Don't let anybody get to me. And she went through everybody, the running backs, and who they were in the family and said they're all part of the family on this football team. You don't let anybody hurt the family. You understand that, Michael? Yes. And soon as that happened, this most incredible warrior comes out of him and he becomes the best, what they call a blindside tackle. A blindside tackle is you have a right-handed quarterback. That means your left tackle is the guy who's going to protect the blindside of the quarterback. Right? So all of a sudden, he becomes the, most, the second most expensive person to recruit and pay is now the left tackle. Why? Michael Orr. Pretty cool. Well, we're not done there. How about this one? I know it's not a true story, but there ain't nothing better than Rocky. I love the 80s. And they're still making Rocky movies to this day. What up with that? I just think we're going to go on those travel movies, you know, those time travel movies. It's going to be Rocky 55, you know. But what gets us is the truth about the underdog. I connect with the underdog. You connect with the underdog. Why? Because there's places in our life where we feel overwhelming odds against us. So when we see a story, especially a true story, that comes out where they come from way down deep in a pit and they come up and they make it and there's success and they overcome and there's victory. We embrace that kind of a story. Why? Because we all want that story. If not for us, for those we love. We all want to be the underdog who wins. Well, to be honest, life can be full of some overwhelming situations. Parenting kids can feel incredibly overwhelming. How many ever found out that when you have kids, they don't take breaks? You just can't wait till they fall asleep, right? Oh, all you mommies say, no, no, not at all. Yeah. All of us dads are going, man, give them some, some of that medicine, whatever you got to do. It's hard, and we can feel overwhelmed. I think it's harder to do adult children than it is babies, though. Somebody say amen. amen. You know, navigating a global pandemic can be overwhelming. We don't know what's right, what's wrong, don't know what information to trust, what information not to trust. It's horrible. It's overwhelming. Growing in our faith and overcoming sinful habits is a massive challenge. Juggling careers and family can be hard as well. And I would argue all of these things and others were never meant for you or me to go at it alone. You have to do it with others. The Bible's full of stories of these characters who, against all odds and being an underdog themselves and facing loss and facing victory, were able 
to see victory and how to overcome. Yet in all those stories of victory and all those stories of those who overcame, there's, there's this little common thread that weaves through all of them. That's this idea that they must get on God's side. They must submit to the Lord. They must pray. They must seek God. They must do Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added. They understood Jesus is the center. They got it. One of the classic stories of an underdog is the story of David, the shepherd boy. The account takes place long before King David is ever king, but after the fact that he had been anointed to become king by the prophet. Don't forget that point. That's a motivator. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, and we're going to start at verse 20. So David left the sheep and another shepherd. Let me give you a little bit of backstory. Dad tells David, David, I want you to grab all the, res all the food and resources, and I want you to go to the front lines of where the battle's going on with the Philistines and, and Israel and find your brothers and give them something to eat. In those days, they needed extra help from the community to resource the men who were at battle. So that's what's happening. They said, David... Take some stuff to your brothers. So David left his sheep with a, another shepherd and set out early in the next morning with the gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at the camp just as the Israelite army was leaving for the battlefield with shouts and battle cries. Soon the Israelites and Philistines forces stood facing each other, army against army. Think of it as a big valley on one side of this big ridge stood the army of the Philistines down to the basin of the valley. Back up again on this other ridge line is Israel. And so they would come out day after day, and this has been going on for well over a month, and the giant would come out, come down to the valley and scream and taunt everybody and, and say that you're ugly and your mama wears army boots and all this kind of stuff. And finally... The, the, the big thing was this. Why kill everybody? You take your best. We'll take our best. They fight. Whoever wins, that side becomes the slaves of the winning side. Simple. Actually, not uncommon. So Israel's not sending out a champion to fight. Now David shows up on one of these scenarios of the two sides standing ready to go to war. So just hours before David arrived at the front lines of this massive conflict between the two, David was in the fields with the sheep. Now you and I may not look at being a shepherd as, a, as, as something of nothing great. Or maybe we do think it's a little bit nice and we have nostalgia connected to it. When somebody saw a shepherd, they thought of filth and stink. They viewed them as a homeless person, only a click above. Because they smelled horrible. And they were stuck in the moonlight taking care of the sheep to protect them from the animals. But they weren't respected. So he's there, and now less than half a day, now... 
He's at the front lines. So David found himself in a position that is definitely way above his pay grade. So when we're faced with an overwhelming giant in our life, we need to know that, one, we're rarely prepared for the fight. Have you ever had something come at you, this giant thing hit you in your life? Were you really prepared for it? Most of us would say no. David's just showing up to drop off some goodies and he finds out there's a fight. There's a giant. There's a fight and nobody's willing to fight. And somehow he says, hey, coach, give me the ball. I want in. What? A teenager wants the ball to go right up against the giant. Amazing. The truth is, is we're hardly ever prepared for what life throws at us. Maybe it's the phone call with the unwanted diagnosis. Maybe it's being laid off from your job without any warning. Maybe it's the vehicle breaking down and there's not enough in the bank account to cover the need for the repairs. No one asks us to be placed in a position where there's, no one wants to be in a position where there's no clear route to victory, to be able to overcome. I don't want to be in that situation. I want to know what my next step is supposed to be. This is where David is. He's nobody special. Nobody knows David but his brothers, and they can't stand him. His brothers, by the way, believe that he's an illegitimate child. In Psalm 51, verse 5, you find David declaring that he was conceived out of his mother's adultery. David believes that he's illegitimate. And so his brothers are mean to him. They can't stand him. And we see that in the text as well. But David, typical lowly shepherd boy, this is where he finds himself in those first few verses. And it might be where you find yourself today. When we find ourselves in that place that we weren't planning on, in a position that we didn't know was coming, it's then that we need hope. It's when we need hope to overcome it. This past year, it's been very painful for my family and for me, as it has been for you guys and for you guys personally. My mother passed away last October. Chris's brother and father passed away within months of my mom and months of each other. This was not something our family was prepared for. And there's a temptation to want to feel helpless. I wasn't prepared to how to navigate all the emotions and the 
But the truth is, no matter how severe the storm is, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Jesus is in your boat. And when the storm is big and that tempest is just howling and the waves seem to get bigger and bigger, He's the one, as the captain of the boat, who will steer you to calm waters. Trust Him. And He will increase your hope. David, he arrives at the front lines to check on the brothers who were fighting for the Israelite army. And it's at this point that David gets, well, his first real look at what the situation is. So let's pick it up in verse 23. As he was talking with them, meaning the other warriors, Goliath, the Philistine champion with, from Gath, came out from the Philistine ranks. Then David heard him shout his usual taunt to the armies of Israel. As soon as the Israelite army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Cowards. Have you seen the giant? The men asked. He comes out each day to, to defy Israel. The king has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. He will give that man one of his daughters for a wife, and the man's entire family will be exempted from paying taxes. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, What will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyway? I just love his... He's, he's just... He's just got a tood. He's just like, this guy is a loser. He calls him a pagan. In, in the other versions, it says he's an uncircumcised Philistine. Meaning what? He has no covenant with God. And he's just, he's just, just going after it. that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God. Let's move down to verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David told Saul. So now they bring him before the king, King Saul. And he says, I'll go fight him. Give me the ball, coach. Don't be ridiculous, Saul replied. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. You're only a boy. And he's been a man of war since his youth. They were training him since he was seven years of age. But David persisted. I have been taking care of my father's sheep and goats, he said. When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from the flock, I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its mouth. If the animal turns on me, I catch it, check this out, by the jaw. Another version says by the beard. And club it to death. So he's going up to him and he's grabbing his beard and he's just beating him like Bam Bam on top of his head till he's dead. This kid's got guts. I've done this to both lions and bears and I'll do it to this, look at, here it is, this pagan, this uncircumcised Philistine too. For he has defied. Now here's the explanation. This is why he can be this confident. For he has defied the armies of the living God. 
The Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. Saul finally consented. All right, go ahead. He said, and may the Lord be with you. In this passage, you can hear this determination within David. Goliath was a decorated warrior, a champion, and he struck fear into the hearts of all who saw him. He was a giant. The Bible says he's about, he's over almost nine and a half feet tall. That's just crazy. So this is, at this point, just underneath this exit sign is probably about seven feet. So go two, two and a half feet above that exit sign. That's how tall he is. That boy's got some girth. He's huge. But there's a couple of things that you probably need to know about Goliath. Number one, he has to have somebody escort him down to the valley floor. Why? Because he has giantism, which means he can't see well. He has double vision. In the text, you find out he's, he talks about you, you have a boy come at me with sticks. He has one stick, his shepherd's staff. Why is he seeing more than one? Because he has double vision. That's clear. You got another issue with him. And because of that, he can't see where the rocks are at, so he has to make sure there's a clear path. That's why he's escorted. Okay? He has to fight man to man. He can't see because he doesn't have glasses. Everything else out there is blurry. So he has to fight infantry man to man. That's why he says, come to me, and I'll feed you to the birds of the air. David's not dumb. He's a sniper. He knows how to do this thing from a distance. So what causes this young teenager, a complete underdog, to embrace such a massive task? It's hope. He has complete trust in who Jesus is and who God is. He has hope that David will not be fighting this battle alone. He has hope that with God's help, there's nothing that's impossible. He has hope that whatever little David had to offer was going to be more than enough as it was with the lion and with the bear. David's reasoning for this hope in part comes from, from God's faithfulness to him in the past. And I also think that he has hope because a little while ago, some prophet showed up at the house. And while he was out in the shepherd in the field tending the sheep, the prophet said no to all of his brothers. And he said, do you have any more boys? He goes, I got, well, I guess I got one. He's illegitimate, but I'm not going to tell you that out loud. And he calls David illegitimate in the eyes of the family. And not in the eyes of the Lord. And he saw him. And he anointed him. And poured the oil. Went all the way down his hair. All over him. Anointed him to be king of Israel. So here he is. 
And he's looking at the situation. And I believe, I'm persuaded to believe there's no way he forgot that event, that this is the opportunity to go from the prairie and the pastor to the palace. He's like, bring it. I want the ball. Come on, coach. Let me in. I want in. He sees it differently. I mean, when we're faced with an overwhelming giant in our life, we need to remember, if God is for us, nothing can be against us. When you find ourselves in a season of great struggle, overwhelming odds, we need to be reminded of how God's been with us and carried us in the past. See, hope is a byproduct of trust. I'll show you, you guys know how to trust. How many of you checked the pew before you sat in it that there wasn't a tick or a tack? How many of you checked to make sure it wouldn't fall apart when you sat in it? Why? Because you trusted. You trusted before you sat down. And that's key. It's like a child who plays with his father in the swimming pool. I remember being a, you know, a young father and my kids, you know, my baby girl, the one who just had a birthday, she would drag me every day to the swimming pool. We lived in an apartment, a condo, and uh, she would get right on the edge. Day, right there. Day, day, right there, right there. I'm like, okay. She'd have that little swim hat thing on and the whole bit. And she'd just jump right out. And I had to catch her. That was the deal. I did that with every one of my kids, with Kelsey, with Theo, with, with Hunter, with Coleman. They would just get right on the edge and they would just jump out. And they trusted me. They had great hope that not only would I catch them, that even if they went under the water, I would bring them right back up and they would not drown. Why? Because they believed in their loving Father. Do you see where I'm going with this? You may be in a struggle. You may just be out there. I mean, you're just flying out and you're like, I don't know where I'm going to land. Your heavenly Father is there. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And He will catch you. You're not going to drown because of the overwhelming situation. Trust your Father to catch you and to carry you. David's confidence, it comes because he, he figured that out. He trusts. He trusts in His loving Heavenly Father. He didn't say it out loud to Saul or to his brothers. Hey, remember, I, I've been anointed. Sometimes you need to know when to keep your mouth quiet. Hello? Sometimes you need to know when God's telling you something and it's only for you. And what is your responsibility? I'm going to use the S word. Shut up. Be quiet. 
Why? That's for you in your faith to grow, for your hope to grow. And hold on to it. Let's look at verse 40. Now he's down at the valley floor. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream and put them into the shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley to fight the Philistine. Goliath walked out towards David with his shield bearer ahead of him, sneering in contempt with this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog, he roared at David, that you come at me with a stick? And he cursed David by the names of his gods, his pagan gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yelled. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's army. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today the Lord will conquer you. Did you notice how he's talking? He's made a shift. He's not going man to man here. We're going to figure out what this means. This is significant. Today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head. <laughs> Rated R, man, my goodness. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled there will know that the Lord rescues His people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and He will give you to us. Man, this guy is preaching. He is lighting it up. Saul, the king of Israel, before he lets him to go out there, he says, here, I want, you to, I want to put this, this armor on. My, my Saul's armor, I want to put this on. And, and he's, he's this young teenager. He's probably 17, 19 at the oldest. And he's put this big thing on and he's like, it don't fit. Now, he didn't have armor on when he fought a lion or a bear. And now he's going to go fight this guy who could be nine and a half feet tall and into something with weaponry he's never used before. He says, I can't do this. I can't wear this. I can't be you. I am Pastor Marvin. I'm not Rick Warren. I'm not Wayne Cadera. I'm not Bill Hybels. I'm not Billy Graham. But I'm a real good Marvin Telemontes. And how about you? You're not your mama and you're not your papa. You're not your sister or your brother. You're not somebody at work. You're unique. Be who you are. Take that stuff that doesn't fit off. Go with what God's given you. You might see success like you've never seen before. Here's another one. When we face an overwhelming giant in our life, we need to know that it takes a spiritual approach to overcome the overwhelming giant, not a physical one. Maybe you don't feel equipped to overcome the thing that you're facing right here, right now in your life. If that's you today, then you're in good company. Maybe you know that you're 
your struggle, your trial is too much for you. Well, that's actually a good place to begin. It's only when we realize that our battle is more than us that we submit and bow down to the king and seek his help and watch him take over and watch him use you in the midst of it all. David saw that in the conflict, and that's why he spoke the way he did, that God would take you, that God would remove you. And he would use my hand, that by my hand, God would break through. He said, I'm going to cut your head off. By the way, he didn't have a sword on him. Looked pretty strange to say at the moment, up until the point he pulls the, the knife, the sword, out of Goliath's scabbard. Even Paul speaks about this understanding of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, verse 12. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Paul reminds the reader that our battles are not really about what's going on in the physical world or what's going on in the political world. It's in the unseen world. How many know it's the unseen, the invisible world that impacts the visible world? Louis Pasteur, right? The guy who said, why don't you wash your hands and put on a mask when you do surgery so you don't cross-breed infection and bacteria and viruses into open wounds. They called him crazy. And when we find out later, that's all we do today, that he was right. That means that the invisible world of bacteria, of infection, is impacting the visible world of these open wounds. And we had no idea. But it's there. Let's go to verse 51. Then David ran over. So here's what happens. The giant starts to come at him, and he's taunting him, and he's screaming at him, and he's coming this way. And, and because of his arrogance, he doesn't put his helmet on. That helmet would have covered his forehead. And there's a little piece that many times would come right over the nose. So he would have been completely protected. But because of arrogance, he didn't have all of his gear on. By the way, for those who don't know, a slingshot, which are two strings, leather strap most likely, little piece of leather pouch there, you would put the, the, the rock or the pellet or what we would call a bullet in there. And the longer it is, the, the more velocity you get. And this, they have tested, it could go out as fast as a 38 Special. That's some serious velocity coming from a slingshot. Our boy is a sniper. These guys are so good, they could actually take out birds flying in air, in flight, and hit them with a slingshot. To this day, common practice. I used to do it as a kid in my backyard, small little backyard with my mom and dad, and I got pretty good. I could hit something about that big. Why? Because I wanted to see, is it true? Could that? And I, I made my own. I took some shoestrings off my, my, you know, my little Converse and all that kind of stuff, and I made my own little thing. 
David was so good that when he let, let go of his, most likely six feet long, and when he let go of it, God helped guide that thing, and he went right between the eyes. And he fell down as though if dead. At this point, it's unclear whether the giant is dead or has a very serious migraine. David fixes this situation by running right up to him and pulls the sword out of his scabbard and then proceeds to remove his head to make everybody on both sides know exactly what was just accomplished in the name of God. The next thing that takes place is, is just amazing what happens next. So then David, verse 51, then David ran over, pulled Goliath's sword from his sheath. David used it to kill him and cut off his head. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they turned and ran. Woo! Tail between legs. Here I go. Then the men of Israel and Judah gave a great shout of triumph and rushed after the Philistines, chasing them as far as Gath in the gates of Ekron. The bodies of the dead and wounded Philistines were strewn all along the road from Shiram as far as Gath and Ekron. Suddenly the once frightened Israelites were emboldened. I mean, their shoulders were back and chest out. Why? Because hope is contagious. They, they, they were willing to drink it. They were willing to be all in. Why? Because they saw the impossible take place. They saw the underdog overcome. They saw victory that could only come from God. Hope is contagious and it changes the momentum. David's hope it just spread like wildfire. The entire story changes. The narrative takes a completely different tone. There's something that happens, there's, there's something that happens within the fellowship of faith when just one person dares to have the audacity to have faith and hope and trust in God. They dare to believe for the impossible. They dare to believe that if they pray, God will answer. They really believe. It just takes one person. You could be the spark that ignites your family. Your place of work could be impacted because you pray. Your neighbors, your church can be completely transformed because you believe, because you trust, because you hope. Or you could be that one like David and see a whole nation change because you were willing to say, give me the ball, coach. Watch what God will do in me and through me. could be you. On his own, David was just a nobody, a lowly shepherd boy. David was an underdog, but with God, 
he became an overcomer, a giant slayer, a warrior. There is no enemy, no overwhelming giant that you can face in life that cannot be overcome by God. But you must trust Him. Even though you can't see how God might come through right now, faith is believing that it's still possible. See, when a whole church begins to function this way, that's when the world changes. What area of your life can you begin to exercise more faith, more trust in God, more fight for hope in your life? In this coming week, well, Father, I pray for your people. Lord, this is a message that speaks to all of us. No matter what we're in right now or what we have been and, or what we will face, we all need more faith, more trust, more belief, more hope that You could do the impossible in us and through us. Especially if we think we're illegitimate, especially if we think we're just some lowly nobody. I don't have this because I don't have enough money. I don't have this because I, I, I don't have education. I don't have this because I don't have a special skill set. I, I don't, I don't, I don't. And it's like, well, that's fine. Because I can do all things through Christ. Through Christ. Through Christ who strengthens me. So Lord, we pray, pour out upon your people Increase our faith. Increase our trust, our hope in You. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Well, we hope this message helps you to take your next step closer to Jesus. Here's a great question to ask yourself right now. How will I be different because of what I just heard today? Well, for more info about us, go to rrf.church or find us on Facebook. I'm Pastor Marvin thanking you for taking the time to join us.